Hey, how are you? Hi, Chuck. <laughs> how are you doing, Kim? Hi, Corey. Hi, Chuck. How are you? The Perot Favel Generation X podcast is powered by Biscuit Tees and Favel Fitness, bringing you unique comfort and style while optimizing a healthy organic lifestyle. I've never met you before, Chuck. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, yeah we nice really appreciate you coming on. We we were trying to wrangle Ray in, but uh, he's on a flight. Have him pop in a little. <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we know you're super busy with everything that's going on in the hockey world. We kind of want to just step back and and talk about you know you growing up in the hockey world and give you a little a little time off from all the stress of everything that's going on right now. So yeah, no problem. Yeah, we won't bombard you about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, first off, uh, I just want to say we had uh, Bruce Boudreau on the other day, and man, did he ever have a lot of really great things to say about you. He was uh, the coach back in, in Minnesota. You're in the GM. So he never did find out. He, he wanted to know if, you know, did you think he was a good coach? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't know if he liked me or not. Yeah, he goes, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Bruce, is a, he's a beauty. Yeah. <laughs> he's a very very good coach very good coach and good person and just loves to talk hockey he's one of those guys knows the history of the game and obviously played in the 70s and he's coached now for in his third decade of coaching so he's got great stories and it was always a lot of fun to travel go for dinners you know the night before game you're on the road take the staff out for dinner and, and we'd rarely talk about the team at that point we were always talking about the Maple Leafs or you know, Borea Salmin or, you know, coaching yeah. in the ECHL or the American League. And he, he had such great stories. Yeah, yeah he, he his history goes back pretty far. But speaking yeah. about for dinner, then we had um, David Borianez on a couple of days ago. And he okay. said he had dinner with you uh, not that long ago out in L.A., was it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was just before the uh, pandemic pause that year we were out um, – that would have been the 1920 season. So it was literally New Year's, New Year's Eve. We, we were out there oh. the, the 30th and 31st, I think, of December and um, saw him. And and hopeful uh, we're out there again this year around the same time. So we're hopeful of reconnecting. And some he gets out here a bit, too. Yeah. Comes out to our practices and our camp and from time to time. But it's always fun to see him out in, out in L.A. Yeah, he's a great guy. So between him, Ray, and Bruce, everyone has been singing your praises. So we're like, all right, we got to have Chuck on. Everybody yeah. loves him. So. <laughs> and you've known Ray for quite some time, right? Yeah, Ray. For everyone listening, yeah. Yeah, Ray um, Ray hired me in, 2000, in 2006. I was working for the Anaheim uh, Ducks at that time, and he brought me to Pittsburgh just after he was named the general manager. So he brought me out as the assistant general manager and we knew each other because um, we had both been assistant general managers in the game. So we knew each other. Obviously, he was a son of a, a pretty successful hockey guy. Mm -hmm. and so was I. So we connected a bit and um, but we didn't know each other great. And, and then we just became like great, great friends. And he was my boss. But uh, from that time on, we've kept in touch and. I worked with him briefly again in New Jersey uh, after I was fired in Minnesota, and he brought me out there for about six months before I came to the Flyers. So I've been able to work for him in a couple of different locations, and great man, 
a great leader, a great uh, general manager, in my opinion, one of the best in the game, and, and but just a great person. So mm-hmm. honest. People love to work for him, and he's fun. He's so much fun, too. And, yeah. <laughs> and just an encyclopedic uh, memory, too. Remembers everything. Like, he'll say, remember that conversation we had in, you know, in July of 2006? And I'm like, uh, Not really? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I remember that one. He remembers every detail about everything, and calls we had with agents when we were trying to sign players in Pittsburgh. And and I remember outlines and a lot of it, but he remembers every detail. So he he gets it almost gets stressful sometimes talking with him because you're having a beer with him and he's like, remember this, remember that? And like you're you just, you know, you're just on you're on edge. You're trying to remember all the time. Everything but he uh I think he's he's borderline genius and and but just again great great love of the game and when I got the job here in Philly, telling me all the stories about growing up and, and um, you know, telling me I, I live in an area now where there was an old racetrack, I guess. Um, oh, the, yeah. The Garden State um, yeah. uh, track was right there, and it burnt yeah. down. And then he was telling me a story about driving to school and, and the day it burnt down. And, you know, so anyway, he's, <laughs> he's incredible. He's got, got great stories. Well, he was our very first guest on our podcast, which worked out perfect for us because between his stories and his memory and his history and his humor, like it just was like, wow, this is what it's going to be like. We're uh, we're doing the right thing. He was just awesome. Like, I, I don't even know how long we talked to him for, but he's yeah. such a great guy. And yeah. like you said, like stories from the parade and the details and every little thing were just, it was cool. Yeah. yeah. No, he. He, re- he remembers it all. He remembers it all. And, and, yeah. He, he's been great for me at two of my two times in my career where I was kind of struggling a bit. He, he kind of brought me on board and helped me out. And, and so I, I owe him a lot, um, you know, but just just a great friendship. And, and um, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Hopefully one day we can work together again. Yeah. So, oh, God, that'd be great. He just sounds like an amazing guy. Like, I got caught, I think, in the middle of the text between you guys. And, and yeah, he sounds like he has a really good memory. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's, it's, un, it's unbelievable. And just memories like even going back from, from his dad and his dad's playing career and things that his dad must have told him when he was a kid. He remembers everything. Like mm-hmm. he, So he goes back literally decades of of hockey history that he can he can recall. And, and uh, but, you know, he, he's um, – He's remarkable and and uh, great, great, great general manager, in, in my opinion, and did so much for the Penguins and, and turning that franchise around and helping to turn it around and won a cup. And, and of course, they won a couple more after he left. But, uh, you know, he's a, a pretty successful guy in his own right. And you were there when they won the cup too, right? Both of you were there for that? Yeah, yeah, we were both there. That was my last year. I moved on to Minnesota right, right around that time to be the GM there. But it was uh, it was just a lot of fun because the year before we played Detroit in, in the 2008 Stanley Cup Finals and we lost in lost in Game Six, kind of a, a heartbreaking way of losing. We we had won Game Five in overtime to keep the series alive, make it three two, and and uh, I think Marion Hosa hit the post in the last minute of the game that would have sent the game to overtime, and Detroit was literally you know just inches better than us that year. And then the next year we got got another shot at him and, and um, down three games to two in the series and found a way to win game six and went into Detroit and won a one game seven in Detroit. So 
it was incredible. And, you know, starting off with Ray that first year in Pittsburgh, we were there like we, we were, we weren't very good. The team was a 60 odd point team the year before we got there. We didn't, we didn't know if we get 70 points or 80 points, but we didn't have any illusions of grandeur. We didn't think we were very good. We, we knew we were going to be better and we were going to improve, but we actually got to the trade deadline that year. And it was really kind of funny that all of a sudden, like we're in a playoff position and, and Ray looked at me and said, like, Chuck, like, we don't have any depth. Like we need a defenseman. We need another goalie. If our goalie gets hurt, we got to go out and get another forward. Like we just weren't prepared because we weren't expecting to be. (laughs) We went out and made all these trades at the deadline and brought in a bunch of players. And it was just hilarious. We were laughing like we weren't ready for this at all. Like we, we got, got pretty good pretty quickly. And under Mike Terrian and and Mike Yo as, as, as our coaches and Andre Savard and, and uh, lost to Ottawa in the first round that year, but it set us up. And then next year we got all the way to the Stanley Cup finals. And the third year we won the Stanley Cup. So it was like a meteoric rise. Uh, Crosby and Mal can help a little bit. I tell Ray, I said, you, you were really good, Ray, but I said they were, they were pretty good players too. <laughs> but, uh, he made a lot of amazing moves, a lot of amazing trades. And uh, we picked up a lot of great pieces along the way, including a guy like Chris Kunitz. And obviously Hosa was a big, addition at the trade deadline and uh, some defensemen like Hal Gill and we picked up George Larac and Gary Roberts in, in earlier years and signed Peter Sikora. So, you know, we made a lot of moves, but it was just so much fun working with him and, and uh, just, you know, he was a man that, that uh, when he wanted something, he just went out and made all these trades. And I was so impressed. I mean, he would literally, we probably made, 12, 15 trades in the three years we were there, signed a bunch of free agents and he made up his mind. He just went and did it. And so it made a lot of, it was always a lot of fun to, to work with and kept you involved, but he just was a man of action. So it's never boring. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can't see him ever being boring, <laughs> but no. that, that time must have really bonded you too. Like when you win, just like the Flyers team that won back in the seventies, they're bonded together. So I'm sure going through that with him kind of cemented your, your friendship too. Yeah, and, and we had uh, a young a young guy in the office at that point, Jason Botterill, who's moved on to to be a general manager in in Buffalo, and now he's out yeah. working uh, with Ronnie Francis in Seattle. And we had Tom Fitzgerald and Dan Bilesma, of course, was our coach, and and uh, Mike Yo, and uh, you know just a bunch of great people that were there that got got to work with them. Dan McKinnon was was one of our top uh, player personnel guys, so we're all very tight to this day, and. And, and get along great and um, but yeah you have those memories uh, together and 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 uh, just even our families growing up together and I had younger kids and raised kids were younger and we would go to the American Hockey League meetings every year because they were held down in Hilton Head so there, yeah, there's the news, the news flash there when you have your American League annual meetings in Hilton Head every year surprisingly we both made it all the time beach for a week and yeah. a couple meetings along the way but uh, we just had just had a blast, and and uh, you know families got close, and uh, yeah. but great memories because again we we walked in it was a sixty point team, and next thing you know we're in the playoffs, and the next year we're in the finals, and the third year we won a cup. So not a lot went wrong. Everything sort yeah. of went right. It, it was uh, not because of us, just that was the way the team was trending, and but it, just to be a part of it and and have that much fun and just basically feeling like on top of the world all the time and. And Pittsburgh's a pretty interesting market because there's 
you know, you, you obviously have a pro football team that's very successful and a baseball team mm-hmm. that's been there forever. But, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a smaller town. The fans are passionate. And, and uh, you know, there's three teams in town instead of four or five. And, and so when we were doing well, you're on top of the world. Everybody knows who you are and knows mm-hmm. the team and the building's jammed and, and uh, you know, had some, had some great playoff games in there, some great series with the Flyers, actually, and the Rangers and all the big rivals played. And you had to beat all those teams to, to, to get to where you wanted to get to. So uh, just the, the memories of playing them in the old igloo and, and yeah. um, the building's just jammed. It's humid. You know, the AC doesn't really work all that much. Yeah. <laughs> Ice is pretty average, and, and uh, <laughs> it was great. They're the best games. Those are the best place to watch a game. Like the old Spectrum was just so much fun. I oh, love the sticky floors, the stale cigarette smoke in the air. You know? <laughs> no, still lingering from the 70s, even when you're in the yeah. 90s there in the Spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> That's even the Buffalo. <laughs> I love the Buffalo Odd. I remember in the Buffalo Odd, they always had uh, sound barriers up top. And when the crowd got loud, they'd start moving. And it was just, yeah. there was so much character in those rinks back then. Yeah, ab- absolutely. They were all, and they were all kind of misshapen a little bit. They weren't, you know, they weren't sort of the standard size and the benches weren't right. The home bench was always bigger than the smaller bench. And yeah. the visiting dressing room was like rat infested and tiny. Yeah. You know, so like when you were on the road, you really, you know, the team you were playing, even when you went into Buffalo, they had home ice advantage. Same thing in the spectrum, the old Boston Garden. And now we got all these great, beautiful rinks, but it, they're pretty much uh, homogenized and and yeah. uh, you know everything's the same. The facilities are great, but, mm-hmm. but you know you but go that in the character garden. isn't there. That old school yeah. character from back it, in the day. Exactly. Some yeah. of the old school fear too. You know. Just oh yeah. Going in some of those barns, it wasn't wasn't a lot of fun for the for the opposing teams. Yeah, we've had a lot of people on that played against the Flyers back in the seventies and early eighties. And yeah, they said it was not pleasant. It was <laughs> not a good time. <laughs> yeah. No, I was just thinking back, my dad's team in Atlanta, they came in as an expansion team in 72, 73 and first year didn't make the playoffs, but the second year they did make the playoffs. They, they improved pretty quickly. And the first round they, they drew the distinct honor of playing the Philadelphia Flyers. And that, <laughs> that was the 73, 74 season, which of course oh, wow. was the season that the Flyers won the cup. And, mm-hmm. and I, I was just looking back at just the other day and the Flyers swept them. But, um, you know, there was a couple little mini brawls and and uh, the Flyers won the first two games easily in Philly and won game three easily in Atlanta. But game four, the Flames were actually up three nothing late in the third. The Flyers scored to make it three one. They tied it up in the third. And I'll never forget uh, Clarky, Bob Clark, uh, yeah. sent Dave Schultz in on a breakaway. Schultz, he got an overtime breakaway <laughs> goal. Nice. Atlanta Flames. So not only would they beat you up, but then, then they're, you know, the hammers yeah. out there getting scoring a breakaway goal in overtime to, uh, wow. to win the game and knock the flames out. But, but I remember two or at least two, maybe three bench clearing brawls over the years in Atlanta with the Flyers, and you know just crazy, a different era. But um, they were so good and tough, but so yeah. good. Yeah, you, you remember all those games, so. <laughs> That's like when the Philly flu, they say, like players would come into town and all of a sudden come down with the flu and couldn't yeah, play. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of guys yeah. weren't ready to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, go ahead, sir. I was just thinking, you were born in Montreal. 
Um, did you ever, did you play hockey? Your dad, you know, with your dad being Cliff, did you, did you play hockey? Did you ever, you know, think of it as a career or did you really like the, the management sort of style um, starting out? Well, I tried to play. I was just a really bad player. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, the, the NHL wouldn't accept me, but I'll never, I'll never forget. We moved to Atlanta in 72, so I was five years old. Yeah. And uh, it may have been about a year later, maybe when I was six, I went out to learn to play hockey for the first time and play. And my dad was on the road um, with with the Flames. So I, I don't know if it was training camp in September, October, whatever it was in Atlanta. Yeah. And, and my mom was trying to piece together the equipment for me to wear to, to mm. go for my first practice. Yeah. And um, she mistakenly gave me a football helmet. I think it was a Washington <laughs> oh, Redskins yeah. football helmet. So here's the son of the GM of the Atlanta Flames going yeah. for his first practice, and I oh had a football God. helmet on. Oh and uh, so kind of an auspicious start to, uh, to my career. Got off to a blazing start, and standing around with my ankle ankles bent in. And, uh, but I, I played. Uh, I played up until college, and, and yeah. uh, um, you know, and wasn't a very good player, uh, but loved it. And and when I couldn't play anymore, then I you know, after college, I got into got into the initially as a player agent for a couple of years. And then uh, Bob Clark gave me an opportunity to work with the Florida Panthers. He was a GM oh, for our inaugural year in Florida. And I was oh, oh. one of his, his assistant, actually his only assistant. I was called assistant to the general manager. Yeah. I was 26 <laughs> years old and working in the NHL for Bob Clark. Wow. In, in uh, Fort Lauderdale. So life was life was pretty good. Yeah. So now, was that, did you want to follow in your dad's shoes or did you just kind of fall into that? I, I really did. I, I, I knew growing up I was never a great player. I, again, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I played as long as I could. Played a little bit of junior hockey and then tried to play collegiately and wasn't very good. So you, you could see the writing on the wall at a pretty pretty young age. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, growing up um, in Atlanta, my dad let me, particularly on weekends when I was younger, I, I had a, I wasn't allowed to go to weeknight games until I was about, I think, 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. But uh, growing up, I would sit um, in the Omni in Atlanta. My dad would have one seat. His assistant GM was David Poyle, who's mm -hmm. now a longtime GM in the NHL, now with Nashville. And I would get the third seat. So I pretended that I was part of the staff. I'd sit with Aww. those two for, for every game. I'd go to every morning skate. He would take me on a road trip every year with the team. And so I always wanted to, to follow his footsteps and, and be in the NHL and and uh, met a lot of people along the way and uh, got into the player agent business. And while I was a player agent, I actually met Bob Clark and a couple of um, the scouts. Um, at, at that point, Clark, he was actually, um, I think he was with Minnesota initially when I met him. Then I think he went back to the Flyers as a, senior vice president because he had been mm -hmm. let go as the GM uh, be before, but I met him and, and uh, you know, got to know him enough that he, that he hired me. So I got, I got my break. And, and so forever as thankful as, as I am to Ray Shiro, uh, uh, Ray wouldn't have known me if it wasn't for Bob Clark. So he gave mm -hmm. me my big, big break. And, and uh, here I am now 28, 29 years later, still, Pretty much 28, 29 continuous years working in, in the National Hockey League. Wow. That's, so what, did you move around a lot? How long? I'm not completely familiar of how many years your dad was in Atlanta and all that. Did you? So you were born in Montreal, but you didn't grow up there. So did you move around? 
Yeah, we moved to St. Louis um, in, in 69. He was the assistant GM with the St. Louis Blues. And uh, Bobby Orr scored a very, very famous goal against the St. Louis Blues in overtime where he's flying through the air with his arms yeah. raised. Mm-hmm. That was the third consecutive year the Blues made the Stanley Cup finals. And and uh, the ownership didn't realize why they lost all three. They were an expansion team, and two of the years they played Montreal, and the Canadians knocked them out. The third year they played the Big Bad Bruins. The Bruins knocked them out. My dad got fired after that because they didn't oh, wow. understand why, you know, they three times. Why can't you guys win one of them? And oh, well, uh, you made it three times to the finals. Uh, that's not so easy to do. <laughs> no, exactly. So, so we were in St. Louis for a bit, and then he uh, moved to Atlanta in '72, and then that franchise was sold and bought by a group of owners in Calgary. So we moved to Calgary and the Flames became the Calgary Flames in 1980. And and then from there, my family was there 10 years, but I, I moved off to college and then to uh, worked as an agent for a bit, moved down to Florida and then California and then Pittsburgh, then Minnesota. And now here we are in Philadelphia. So my wife, um, She's a pretty good woman for sticking with me. We move around a lot. <laughs> I'll tell you, the wives don't get enough credit of professional yeah. athletes or in the management, whatever. Don't get yeah. enough credit. I, I know. Packing up with kids and new mm-hmm. schools and all that. So I was lucky. My dad, my whole, I was born in 72. So my whole life we've been in Philly. I never had to move. So yeah. I, I, got, I was fortunate. And my yeah. mom's from the area, so we kind of got lucky in that sense. But I know no, there's a lot of, yeah. So, but that's so funny. I was, um, Chuck, I was thinking of your story when you very first played hockey. Um, I was in St. Catharines. I remember the very first time my dad got my equipment, showed me the night before how to put it on. I was probably five or six. Showed up. Uh, Dennis Hall was the instructor. And I had no idea how to put my equipment on. Like I had no clue. So Dennis Hall had to dress me <laughs> the very first time. And I had never skated. So I was standing out there the stick. So when you how said old were that, you three for that? I must have been five or six, I think. And I remember I had because I was holding, I remember the stick was a pro stick just cut in half. So the blade was almost <laughs> as long as the stick. And it's like, oh my gosh. And uh yeah, so when you were telling that story, I'm like, man, Dennis Hall was the first guy to dress me because I had no idea how to put this stuff on. So a pretty cool story, though. Dennis yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then and then it ended up uh, years later. Glenn Healy was my goalie coach um, in Halliburton Hockey School. Looking back, I didn't look, and I was like, oh my gosh, Glenn Healy was my goalie coach. So I blame him that I was never a goalie. I never made it to the NHL. So. <laughs> but and I was going to say, you you went to Harvard, so obviously very, very intelligent guy. Um, is that something, you know, not everyone gets into Harvard. How, uh, how did that pan out for you? That was great. It was always my, my mom always wanted me to, uh, to go there. And yeah. uh, so I, you know, never know if you ever have a chance to go to a school like that. I really didn't know much about it until like high school yeah. when I was growing up in Calgary, Alberta and all my yeah. friends go, were going to the university of Calgary or the university of Alberta. So I just said, well, I may as well apply. And, yeah. And that was pretty cool. I was able to get in and uh, just, you know, just it's one of those things where you show up on campus and, and and you're overwhelmed and intimidated because you're assuming every kid is smarter than you. That's there. Yeah. Right. And, and and it may have been true. They actually everybody may have been smarter than me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were some brilliant, brilliant people. And I'm certainly not that. But 
I would say even the whole first year, my first semester and second semester, you're taking classes and it takes a while to get your groove. I think and get your confidence and feel that you can kind of compete with that, that caliber of student. And, and uh, but it, it was a great place to go to school. Boston's a wonderful city, mm -hmm. and so much history and learned a lot, uh, took some great classes, great professors and some of my best friends, probably my best friends to this day, with the exception of Ray Shiro and some of the people I've met in hockey uh, are my my old roommates from from college. We still get together every year, Memorial Day weekend, uh, provided the team I'm working with isn't in the semifinals or finals or whatever's going on during Memorial Day. Um, it's the one trip I always like to like to miss because that means our team's still playing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of years, unfortunately, I'm, I'm available and get to go, but we get together every Memorial Day and about 10 of us with our families and got our kids that show up every year and it's, it's a blast. So, um, but it, it was, it was a great four years. Oh, it's funny um, though. Ray, Ray lives in Boston now though, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Such a small world. Um, I wanted to ask you, did you ever get up to Muskoka? I know um, your dad gets up there. He used to rent my dad's boat for the month of August and, yeah. he, would rent, and he would rent Billy Harris's cottage up in Rosso. Did you ever exactly. get a chance to go up to Muskoka or experience the Muskokas? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of years. I missed a few years off and on, depending on yeah. where we were living and a couple of years we were moving. And uh, I was, I was at Billy's place quite a few times. Uh, okay. Now um, I'm hoping to get up. He's up in the Gravenhurst area uh, yeah. this year and I'm hoping to get up there. But I uh, remember spending time on Lake Joe, uh, Muskoka, yeah. all of them, uh, all the lakes there. So he, he's yeah. moved around, but that, that's yeah. God's country. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, Kim always, when I, I grew up, Muskoka was the spot, but I also used to go down to the Jersey shore. Sure. Kim always is, you know, Jersey shore. That's, um, you know, her summer spot. So I've been trying to explain to her, you have to come up to the Muskokas and, and see the Muskokas up here in Canada. So yeah, I keep hearing how beautiful it is. Yeah. Pictures or my, my daughter loves the lakes and hiking and all that. So I have to take, get her up there. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. The Jersey shore may be a little bit different pace than, both beautiful both yeah. beautiful. Well, we grew up our summers as soon as hockey season was over was right around the same time as school ended so we would go down and we spent our summers at the jersey shore we didn't go back to montreal that often like we would just or they would come down here and visit us at the jersey shore so that was yeah. our that's how yeah. i grew up it was our summers <laughs> yeah, it's, it's remar remarkable everybody i speak to that i met in, in and uh, the Cherry Hill and Voorhees and Haddonfield area here of everybody who seems to go to the shore, grew up on the shore. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole new, whole new uh, lingo getting used to and trying yeah. to all the different towns and all the different beaches. And, and uh, but no, it's uh, it's a great it's a great way of, of, of spending your summer for sure. And it's the shore, you know, it's not going yeah. to the beach or it's no. the shore. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about that the other day. I, I don't think there's many places, maybe uh, maybe the Boston area a little bit where people call it the shore. Every, in most places we're going to the beach or we're going right. to our house, but here it's the shore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have people from different areas and my friend from Utah, she was like, she just can't wrap her brain around it. She's like, it's just not, I'm like, well, you know, to us, it's what it is, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So your dad now is up in with Toronto, with the yep. Maple Leafs. At, what's he doing with them at the time? 
Well, he's uh, he's turning 86 in a couple of weeks, and and uh, they just renewed him for another year. He was pretty proud of that. Nice. Uh, I think it keeps him young. You know, he just yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously his roles is uh, he doesn't travel as much, and you know, prior to the pandemic, he you know he lives down in Scottsdale and he goes up to Toronto for you know, seven, 10 days every month and, and, and watches all the other games from Scottsdale on the TV. And, and, uh, this last year was a little bit tougher, obviously he didn't mm-hmm. wasn't able to travel at the border essentially being shut down. So, but he loves it. He still watches, uh, all the, every Maple Leaf game. He watches all the yeah. Flyers games now. And, and, uh, I still bounce ideas off him and, and he, he's, he's sharp. Like I ran an idea by him about a couple of weeks ago. He said, why would you ever do that? That doesn't make any sense. So <laughs> He's still got a real good opinion and, and knows the game. And, yeah. and uh, again, it's, it's remarkable how I, I think working and, and being around younger people, as he puts it, you know, most people are younger than him now and mm-hmm. working in the game and working around the players and the coaches and it keeps him energized. It keeps him young and it keeps his brain going. So it, it's, it's been a godsend that he could continue to work for the Maple Leafs. Yeah. I agree. Like have it continue to work like that. And even, my dad's around, you know, younger people all the time and stuff like that. And I definitely think there's something to that. Do they still call your dad the silver fox? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> still, the hair is still perfect. It's, it's more, light, more light than silver now, but it, it, it's it's pretty pristine. I'm pretty impressed with it. Good for him. Yeah, still got the flow going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So, do you uh, know? Obviously, you know my dad. What's um your interactions with him been? Yeah, that that's been a really fun part of it because it being around the Flyers and not a not an original six team, but as close as you can get to an original six team. Mm-hmm. You know, the Flyers and probably Pittsburgh would be sort of the next most storied franchises after the original six teams, and and of course, growing up in Atlanta, the Flyers. I don't know that the Flyers treated the Flames as much of a rival because they were so much better. But in Atlanta, the Flyers were the biggest rival. Oh, okay. You know, and then, um, you know, through the years, some of the teams I've been on, whether it's Pittsburgh or the Florida Panthers, you know, played the Flyers in, in the playoffs. So it's always kind of been a team I've, I've known uh, uh, very well and, and known all the players. And now meeting your dad or, or Bill Barber, and obviously I've known Clarkie a long time and Paul Holmgren a long time and, Joe Watson and all the various players that are around that you get to get to know some of the more recent players, you know, whether it's Brad Marsh and, and some yeah. of the other guys that are around, you see them at, on the golf courses or um, they, a lot of them come to the game. And it's just remarkable how active the alumni are mm-hmm. and how much great they do in the community, first of all. But, but you know, you, again, they're at the game, say, yeah, you bump into them and they know the team and, and uh, they're always coming over and saying hello. So not many franchises have that. And when I worked in Minnesota, there was a, a lot of former Minnesota, you know, former Minnesota hockey players, whether it was the North stars, but the wild had only been in existence for 10 years when I got there. So you just didn't have a lot of alumni. Mm-hmm. A lot of them were still playing, you know, or maybe on a different team. So it's kind of cool when with, with the history and, and uh, in our practice facility, we got all the, replica Stanley Cups. We got the pictures of, of all the players that played mm-hmm. here, all the team pictures. And, and um, you know, I think as a franchise, we've done a pretty good job of recognizing the great players that, that came before and, and honoring the history and, and keeping the alumni involved. And it's been a lot of fun to, to, to kind of tap into that. 
Yeah, I agree. And like you said, it's not just the Stanley Cup team. It's the Lindros error. It's the like it's every error. Danny Briere, everyone that kind of played here, and so many of the guys actually end up living here, which uh, is a testament yeah. to the area and uh, the people here. I know everyone's tough, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> very, very brutal and tough. But they love you, and they, they always love you. You know, it's just a matter of they. They're not quiet about their opinions. <laughs> no, but I, I, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that element of it. You know, in the Midwest for the last 10 years before I came here, there's a lot more people are polite. It's a little bit more passive aggressive. And, uh, right, right. So, uh, but, you know, they're, they're passionate too. They just do it in a different way. Here, mm-hmm. I call it aggressive aggressive. There's nothing passive yeah. about it. They, you know, exactly where you stand. And, <laughs> and But the fans care, you know. And, and mm-hmm. uh, when you lose a game, they're not happy, but that's the way it should be, you know. And the fact yeah. that they care and they keep coming out, they keep buying tickets, they keep wearing jerseys and, and watching you play. And, so they're going to have an opinion, and they should, and, and they're the reason we're all here. But but it's it's a lot of fun. It's a great market, uh, passionate market, and and um, yeah, it's it's hilarious. I, I, I went to an Eagles game a couple of years ago, my first Eagles game, and I think they were. I can't remember who they were playing. See, Ray would remember. Ray would remember. <laughs> you know the score. You were sitting, yeah. you were wearing it. Yeah, how many yeah, penalties? Yeah. The fans were, uh, the Eagles were even up, and, and there was like a, a poor pass and, and incomplete. And fans were all booing and yelling and screaming and, and really getting into it. I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. So it's not just our team. Um, no, it's but, just, yeah. I think the, personally, I think it's the Flyers and Eagles get the most passion. I mean, the other teams, obviously, it, we love our sports, but I mean, yeah. you can't deny the passion. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Here. Well, two, but, two, two years ago too, just, just before we had the pandemic pause, we had, uh, I think we won nine games in a row and it was towards mm-hmm. the end of that winning streak. We had a home game and we were up three goals in the third period and we had a power play and it was awful. Like, I mean, we could make a pass and we couldn't get a shot and, Mm-hmm. And the fans started booing. We were up like three, and we were about to win. I think it was our seventh or eighth right. game. I'm like, really? Like, Tough crowd. Yeah. Just like any scholarship here, like just everybody just smiled for uh-huh. <laughs> booing us in the third. It's whatever's was happening at that moment, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, well, at least you. Again, at least they're not hiding anything or pretending like they're. Yeah. This is all hard. Well, the passion came out too with everything with Oscar. I mean, yeah, exactly. Oscar strong and um, how much everybody. St- I mean, that wasn't just Philly. That was across the league, across the world. Actually, the support that he had and and he always, you know, attributes a lot of that to the team and how you guys treated him and helped him through that. So happy to see him where he is today. Obviously, yeah, it was really cool. The first game he. Uh, after the diagnosis and after some of his treatments, he showed back up and he was in a suite that night and mm-hmm. standing ovation he got. And yeah. He just said he, you know, it's still probably the most emotional moment of his life, you know, just kind of seeing the support and how people were embracing him. And, and, uh, but no, there's no question it, it you know, it, I mean, how I, I, I can't relate. I haven't had to go through anything like that, but just mm-hmm. what he's told me just, going through that battle and the tough times, but kind of remembering back to some of those moments when the fans, when he did show up and, you know, cause the latter part of the chemo and the radiation and all that uh, was really tough on him. Yeah. And uh, you know, and he had some of those memories from being at games, you know, a month or two prior and, 
and the support. And, and he said it really, you know, kind of was something that helped him get through it. But, but uh, anyway, he's, he's in a better place, thankfully. And, and uh, a young man, hopefully was still a long career ahead of him, never mind a, a long life ahead of him. Yeah. Cause not only a great player and young, but just, he just exudes, you know, happiness and that smile and just, you know, just goodness about him. So yeah. not that you want to wish that on anyone, obviously, but just to see him go through that was, and I don't know if you know, like I was, um, my company, we did the, um, Oscar strong tease. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that, um, it just was a very emotional, you know, time for us to just to see how it took off and to see, you know, Crosby and those guys all wearing the tees and just happy to, uh, to help support Oscar as much as we could. So it was, I'm happy that he is where he is now. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. And that was a very cool effort on your part too, to kind of get the word out and allow people to wear the shirts and participate kind of in, you know, showing their support for Oscar. But I actually had one on earlier this morning. So did you? Oh, good. They're so comfy too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. Yeah, it's good. Well, um, I know. Obviously, you know it's a busy time of the year, and and like you said, like we said, the passion with Philly and all that. So, you know, we're we're ready for this new season, ready to jump in. And um, I, I don't know. I I love our team so much, and I love the guys, and I'm excited to see you know where we go in the fall. So. I hope so. I'm I'm so excited. Last last season's over. What a miserable. Oh. Yeah. We, were, we were terrible. It was. Uh, it was rough. You know, between all the restrictions and the testing, and mm -hmm. a lot of people had it way worse than we did. But it just uh, it wasn't a lot of fun. And we had about 20 of our players get COVID, and just yeah. it, it just seemed like it was one of those years where it, it just again so many people had it worse than we did. But it, it'll be nice to kind of get back to some sense of normalcy yeah. and, and yeah. playing hockey and having a, a much better team and having fans. And yeah. And it was rough too. Like you said, we we're on that roll right before COVID, you know, just like we couldn't lose if we tried. Yeah. You know? I know. No, and then COVID hit and, you know, it's just, it was rough. Well, yeah. And I'm, well, I'm, up, I'm up here in Toronto and uh, they're pretty, pretty hard on the players and, and uh, on the team up here too. So, and Toronto started out with a great run. And like I said, I always kept saying it's just an odd season for players, you know, to have to be away from families, doing the testing, the quarantine. It was just, it's very different. The Canadian teams playing the same teams all winter. Like, so like I said, we got faith in you, Chuck. I think next year it's going to be the year, buddy. <laughs> yeah. It would be nice not to have to do Grubhub on the road. We'd, we'd go to hotels yeah. and <laughs> and you couldn't, couldn't leave the hotel. So, you know, there's about 20 different bags of food, Grubhub everywhere. The players are grabbing some. You right. make sure you got the right order. So it'd be yeah. nice to actually be able to, when you're on the road, to, to at least walk out and grab a slice of pizza or go for dinner somewhere. So, <laughs> What was it like in the bubble? Was that like up there? What was that like? The bubble in Toronto was outstanding. Like I, I, I have no complaints. We stayed at a beautiful hotel. We were basically right on the lake shore and, Lake Ontario and in, in Toronto, and uh, we had, you know, it was a luxurious hotel. Had it all to ourselves. You know, the restaurants were open. Um, we had the, they had a soccer stadium that was kind of part of our uh, kind of yeah. part of our little fenced-in area, so we could go over and you could kick the soccer ball around. They had the grill open. We could watch games on the big screen TV. They had a track you could run around every morning, and it, it was. 
don't know. Some I want to go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the view of the lake. By the nice room with the view of the lake. The food is great. Yeah. We were we were treated like kings. So that part actually being in physically in that bubble for seven weeks was it was hard being away from your family, but we had zero complaints. Now, uh, how do you feel as far as playing in the playoffs, being in that bubble and just being not having the distractions? Do you think that was a positive or negative to being in the playoffs and going home to your families on a, in a typical year? You know, it, it, it was probably a little easier that way, especially the guys that, you know, if they have young kids and you literally couldn't help, you couldn't do anything for mm-hmm. your wife or for your kids or, and, yeah. you know, there was nothing you could do. Um, Zoom calls, you know, and, right. and FaceTime and stuff like that. But, uh, so it probably made it easier, but it was really weird because in our hotel, the, the teams that we were playing were in our hotel. So, uh, you, you know, you're walking down. We had to yeah. test every day. We had to do a temperature check every day and you'd be waiting in line and you'd be right next to a guy that you're, you know, the players that you're going to try to run through the boards in about eight, eight or nine right. hours. So yeah. Everyone's really professional, obviously, but it's a real weird because it, it is emotionally charged and, so that part was strange and playing in, again, with no fans playing yeah. in that building. Cause this yeah. year we had some fans after a while, but in the bubble, there was nobody. And, yeah. and we, we were all sitting in our own little suite and, and the, the man, the visiting team's management or your opposing team's management would be in a suite, like three suites down. So you could glare at them and <laughs> yell, they'd be looking at you. And yeah. <laughs> if I yelled at the ref, the ref could hear me. So yeah. you have to be careful because they know yeah, there's no match you. So you better be careful what you're saying. <laughs> but it, it, parts of it was odd, but it was um I'm I hope to never do it again. But mm-hmm. you know, when I'm 75 or whatever, there'll be stories I can tell from there that people oh, yeah. they said, really? You, did that. That? Yeah. you know. Yeah. Probably for all of us, we'll all have our pandemic stories. But. Oh, for sure. But like that's the, especially in the playoffs and in Philly. I mean, we know how passionate again the fans are and how loud it gets in there. Like when we went to the finals, um, the last oh god, what year was that? I guess my son about eleven years ago, and uh, yeah. lost. Yeah, and um, two thousand ten. Yeah, yeah, two thousand ten. And my son was was young. He was like under a year, and they didn't have those like things to cover their ears yeah. out then. Yeah. And it was, I swear, I his ears got damaged from those games. <laughs> it was so loud. Like my ear, my ears were ringing, but um, to go from that to having no fans in the playoffs, especially a city that's used to getting loud and rowdy and excited and the cheering and the booing and, you know, so on, on TV, so on TV, they put the audio in on TV. Like there was fans. So yeah. It was kind of weird. Thinking they, thinking they didn't do that in the rink. <laughs> no, we did. There actually was some fan noise pumped in. So oh, okay. yeah, it made it a little bit different. And, and, uh, but yeah, when we lost um, game seven against the Islanders in the second round in the bubble, mm. you know, that, that's where you kind of really felt it. Cause that would have been a home game. That would have been, that well, yeah. you know, and I don't know if it would have made a difference, but you know how loud that building would have been going out for game seven. And oh, yeah. they scored the first goal. And, you know, we have home ice. The building's dead quiet. They got the first goal and we never got into it. But you're just I always wonder maybe the fans, you know, we would have been charged up and found a way to get that first goal. And then we would have been the team moving on to play Tampa Bay in the third round. But I, anyway, I definitely could have, should have spent yeah. Yeah, could have, should have. I definitely think that could have played a, a part in it, though. Just the energy and and the vibes from the fans, and but 100%. it is what it is, right? Yeah, for sure. 
Well, this year, hopefully, all keeps going well. We'll have our our somewhat normal season coming up, and uh, I know everybody's ready for that. I'm sure yeah. as you are too. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, thanks well, so much, Chuck. Did you have anything else, Core? No, I didn't, Chuck. That was great. I really yeah. appreciate you coming on. That was that was awesome. And like I said, you know, we uh, didn't want to bombard you with a lot of uh, up to date what's going on these days. So, as a Flyer fan, I got I got faith in you, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> we all do. Yeah. Thank you very much, Tim. Yeah. Thank you, Corey, and yeah. enjoyed it. Enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me on, and and uh, happy to do it again sometime. Absolutely. We'll have you and Ray on together. That'll be yeah. fun. Yes, that would yeah. be very fun. I'm really excited. <laughs> but he'll, he'll be asking all those, remember this, remember that. And I'll be like, uh, yeah. Putting you on the spot. <laughs> I envy people with those kind of memories because mine's terrible. My, I have a best friend that I know all my memories through her because she'll tell me. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, Chuck. All right. Okay. Take care. Okay. Yeah, thanks so much, Chuck. Thank yeah, you. Bye-bye.